Well, Revelation chapter four, only 11 verses, but so, so, so much in these 11 verses. And last time I uh, got to the, I think verse two, um, just to share my heart on the things, uh, looking back at the seven churches. And uh, at verse one there again, it says, after these things, metatauta. And so as John is writing Revelation, everything is yet future. And so in, in chapter one, verse 19, we keep looking at this verse because it outlines what's coming up. It says in chapter one, verse nine, write the things which you have seen. These are, this is the vision of Christ in chapter one. And then the things which are, which um, for those who are reading the book would be the things that are presently looking. And again, when you look at the seven churches, there's a few different ways to look at it. And we've talked about that, how one of the ways is to look at it as period of church history. Um, But we looked at it personally as God speaking to us. And then the last thing, the things which will take place after this, metatauta. And so um, we have the, the revelation of Jesus. Then we have the revelation of the seven churches. Or if uh, personally, I just think the places we can be spiritually. And we see the warnings and the urgency to repent and, and the heart to be ready. And every generation needs that. Again, why is it so important to believe in the rapture? Why is it so important to believe in pre-tribulation rapture? Your choices are, as the preterist view, which I think is, is a horrible view. I don't know how else to say it because it, it completely takes the air out of the tires of what I believe God intended the the last days uh, prophecies of the scripture, which is a huge percentage of the Bible. It takes away the importance of the tension. You see, any moment you could die, any moment the Lord could return. And the Bible gives us all of these verses to say, be ready. You know, I think of that passage there in, in 1 John 2, 28 that says, abide in him so when he appears, you don't shrink away in shame at his appearing. Uh, we have in Matthew 25, the, the, the virgins, uh, and five of them are ready, and five of them don't have oil, and they come knocking at the door late, and, and he says, nope, the door's shut. You, you, you've missed out. It's not gonna be opened. There's no, you can plead your case and uh, try to convince me in any way, shape, or form you want, but the door's not gonna be open. You were either ready at that moment or five minutes later, too late. And, um, and so it's like the, the tension on a guitar, you know? You gotta tune each string and you have to have that tension. And if you've ever tuned a guitar, it seems like a lot of people have, don't even play guitars. You go, bing, 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 you know? That thing pops too much tension, but if you don't have enough tension, even just your little tiny bit off, you ever seen that where you just turn it like a fraction of a fraction of an inch? Bing, 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 it's sharp. Now it sounds horrible when you play it. It just play the chord, it just sounds horrible. Go a little bit too much, it's too flat. You gotta get it just right. And in the same way as, as Christians, we need to be in the grace, we need to be in the mercy, we need to be at peace with God through his spirit because we're surrendered and walking and obedient. And at the same time, God's not made us that we would be in fear. It says in 1 John that perfect love casts out all fear. He, he doesn't want us stressed out. Oh man, ever since I've been a Christian, I've been so stressed because oh, I feel like I'm always condemned and not always right with God. And no matter what I do, it's not enough. That's, that's just the whole uh, demonic thing that Satan tries to put on people to condemn them. There, there's that place where you're, you're walking in obedience and you're walking in the grace and the mercy 
And there's also the tension that I am in sinful flesh. And there's no sin that my body's not capable of. Paul said, my body, oh, it's so wretched. There's no good thing that dwells in it. Hold, hold it, parentheses. God's spirit lives in me, that's great. But outside of that, it's horrible. It's a body of death. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be through Christ Jesus our Lord. Then what does he say? Things I want to do, I don't do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. Ah, what's going on? It's not me, it's my sinful body. And there was a real healthy fear and respect of his sinful body. And, and, and again, how did the Gnostics deal with it? The Gnostic theology basically said, well, as long as my spirit's right with God, it doesn't matter what I do with my body. So I can go lie or commit adultery or steal or anything I want with my body as long as my heart's right with God. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. And in the Gospel of John and 1 John, he, he says this is a damnable doctrine. No, what we do with our body affects our spirit. And sometimes we do sin with our body and our heart's not in it. True? And sometimes our spirit sins with our body not in it. (laughs) And that's why Jesus said, you know, you can lust in your heart, it's still committed as adultery. You can hate in your heart, still count as murder. So it's not one or the other. It doesn't have to be both. (laughs) The fact is, is we can sin and thought, we can sin in heart, we can sin in body, it's still a sin before God. And so there's to be this tension that there is a day coming metatauta after the church age. You know it's interesting because up to this point the word church is mentioned 18 times then a 19th time in the very last chapter, chapter 22. But from chapter 4 to chapter 21 of Revelation, chapter 4 to 21, the word church is not mentioned at all. Because we're not talking any longer about the church age that we know it now. The rapture comes, all believers are raptured away to be with the Lord, and then there is a time where the church is at the marriage supper of the Lamb with the Lord, and then this thing is happening on earth known as the great tribulation. And then in chapter 22, it comes back to conclude it, speaking in verse 16 to all the churches. So what we have here is after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and a The first voice which I heard like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. And so this trumpet's gonna blast clear, distinct, penetrating. It's interesting if you you look, for example, in 1 Thessalonians, the trumpet blast and the rapture happens, we're caught up. Uh, The Greek word harpazo, the Latin word rapturus, we get the concept of rapture from. Uh, we're caught up to be with the Lord in the clouds, that, that trumpet blasting. And, and so um, here we see this penetrating thing happening, uh, the trumpet blasting, the voice speaking come up here. And let me tell you guys, very, very soon, we're gonna hear a blast of the trumpet. I don't think it's the same one he's talking about here. There's many trumpet blasts. But uh, we're gonna hear the blast of a trumpet in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, We're gonna be caught up to be with the Lord and those who have all gone to be before us, uh, they're gonna be there with us in the clouds, all getting our brand new body at the same time. And then um, it tells us here, I will show you these things which takes place after this, metatauta. You know, it's the Lord's heart to show us many, many things. In Jeremiah 33.3, it says this. In Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, but as it's written, eye has not seen nor ear has heard nor has entered into the heart of man, not a thought, not a picture, not a creature, not a concept that any man's ever conceived of before, the thing which God has prepared for those who love him. 
This is the heart of God. To even now, just like John here is receiving this revelation, it's the Lord's desire to speak to us from his word, the logos, but there's another Greek word that's called the rhema, which is God speaking a word in season from his logos. And the Bible tells us in in Acts, quoting Joel, that in the last days that we're in, the old men, the young men, all degrees of wealth, rich and the poor, male and female, all caste systems, all different types of jobs, uh, that, that every strata of believers, they would have dreams, They would have prophecies. The Spirit of God would baptize them with His Spirit and all the various gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 would be active in our lives, active in the church. And so here he says that the Lord showed him these things and it's God's desire. There's no partiality with God. God's heart is the same for every single believer and the Apostle John is no greater than you or me. What the Lord's heart for John, the Apostle, was is the same heart that God has for us. Not necessarily to write the Bible. That's been canonized. That's the end. We have a clear, definite conclusion. You read the last verse of Revelation, you don't have a sense like there should be another book of the Bible whatsoever. You have the first book of, the, of Genesis. It's a clear beginning. And the book of Revelation, it's a clear ending. But yet there are words of God that he wants to speak into our hearts. Well, in verse two, he says, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one set on the throne. And so as we see in Revelation 1.10, John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was already uh, worshiping. He was in a place of meditating, uh, no doubt on the word and seeking the Lord and in the spirit, and now as he was in the spirit, it went from a place of, of the revelation of Jesus to the revelation of the church, and now to the revelation of things to come. And I believe this is why God has said there's a unique blessing on the believers as they study the end time things. Why is that? So it's in our hearts, it's in our minds. And so as these things are becoming clearer and clearer, we are there to make the connection, to, 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 to make the, what's that? The dot, the dot, the dot, <laughs> you know, to connect the dots. And this is why the Lord, again, wants these things fresh, always in our heart and our mind. So as we're in the spirit and the word of God is we're meditating on it, that God would speak this to us as we're in the spirit. And again, in 1 Corinthians 2, I just read verse 9, I'll read it again, but all the way down to verse 16, it says, but as it's written, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered the heart of man, the things which God prepared to those who love him, but God has revealed them to us, how? Through his spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, just the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, and we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. There's many, many things that God has for us. You know, there's this beautiful giant thanksgiving table set for us. But we gotta come to the table. (laughs) We gotta sit at the table. We've got to grab the meat and the potatoes and all the special things and put them on our plate. They're there for us. But so often Christians are, are living in poverty. They're on the floor underneath the table. They're trying to get little scraps here and there that fall from the table. But all they gotta do is get in the spirit. God's spirit lives in them. Their spirit is no longer dead, but now alive by God's spirit. And your spirit, communing with God's spirit, God can tell you and share with you and show you a lot of things that are available to you. His power, his revelation, the working of his spirit. And then in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 2, he goes on to say, these things we also speak, not in words, which man wisdom teaches, 
which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Actually, in the Greek, it's simply the word spiritual, spiritual. And we add the words in there sometimes, comparing spiritual things with spiritual words or spiritual thoughts, but it's just spiritual, spiritual. God's spirit revealing it to our spirit, too great for the mind to to put together, to communicate in words. But it's just your spirit being spoke to by God's spirit and your spirit communicating with God's spirit. In Romans, it says it comes out sometimes as groans that are too deep for words. But there's a, a beautiful fellowship. Uh, again, again, in the day of Pentecost, the worship was so deep, they spoke in tongues. Uh, and we see in 1 Corinthians 14 that those who speak in tongues don't speak to man, but to God, and they edify themselves. And so there's this commune thing that goes on, and just God's Spirit praying through your spirit with groans, or your spirit just communing in worship and prayer and to God in, in tongues as we see in 1 Corinthians 14, and the edification uh, to God and to man. But the natural man, the non-believer, who God's Spirit doesn't live in them, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So the natural mind, and I, I might say there are Christians, that God's Spirit lives in them, that unfortunately are still somewhat natural-minded. They will not receive these things of the Spirit. Their pride, bad experiences, I I don't know, but they shut this door and say, tongues, not interested. Prophecies, no more. I'm not going to be a part of that. They're not open to this communion with God by the Spirit. Um, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, when we pray in tongues, our mind is fruitless. It, it's just going from spirit to God. There, there isn't an a, a intellectual part of it. It's, as you speak in tongues, it's, it's no man knows. It's just God's spirit uh, helping you pray uh, right from the spirit to God, bypassing the brain. But again, he who judges all things, he himself is rightly judged by no one, for we Uh, For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him, but who has the mind of Christ? So how do you explain these things? You can't. Again, it says human words can't explain them. It goes beyond uh, human vocabulary, no matter what language it is. There is not a human language that can express it. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because God's an infinite God. We're finite. At some point, the finite has to stop, and God is greater than the created being. So again, to say, well, explain to me God. I mean, that's foolishness. How can the finite ever explain the infinite? There's gonna quickly come a place to say, well, why did God do that? I don't know. He's infinite. His brain is is beyond our brain. (laughs) His thoughts are beyond our thoughts as high as the heavens are above the earth. His strength, his power, his concepts, I mean, they're quickly far beyond ours, and and that makes sense. If you have a God you can explain 100%, it's you. If you're equal to God, then you're God. Again, it it only makes sense that that, that there would be a limitation to explaining God. And uh, again, he says, I I was in the Spirit. He was caught up uh, to this place. And you say, well, how did that happen? Was John gone from the Isle of Patmos? Patmos there, would somebody come around and go, where did John go? I don't know. I saw some, you know, it was a hill print and then a toe print and then he was gone, you know? Or, yeah, I saw his clothes in a pile. He must be running around naked somewhere here. I, I, you know, what was it like? Was he sitting there? If somebody came and saw him, did he look like he was sleeping? And they're trying to wake him up and he just looks like he's passed. What does, it, nobody knows. Paul had a similar experience in, in 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 2. He says, whether I was in the body, I, I don't know. Whether I was out of the body, I, I don't know. So Paul, in his experience, when he went to heaven, he just said, I, I do not know. I had a revelation of heaven. If I tried to use any human words to tell you what I saw, it would be sin. 
So I'm not going to tell you anything because there is no human words that can describe anything (coughs) that I saw. And to try to use human words to describe what I saw would indeed be sin. (coughs) And so again, one day we are going to be out of these bodies into a heavenly body. And then, you know, we're going to understand it. I mean, Right now, we only understand time and space as we understand it, <clears throat> right? When Jesus was resurrected, as one day we will be resurrected, just like him, he, you know, the doors were locked, and he just, you say, well, he walked through the wall. He may not even had to walk through the wall. <clears throat> he just was one place, then he was another place. Did he think about it? Did he beam himself over there? Did it take a second you know, he was in Galilee and then he was in Jerusalem. It's a 90 mile trip. Did it take him 10 minutes to get there, even though he was in the spirit? Or did it take him a fraction of a second? Again, I think when we're out of this body, time is going to have a completely different concept. Space is going to have a completely different concept. There is going to be those things because we know we're there for eternity. We do know that there's a new heavens and a new earth. Um, there's going to be trees and water and animals and um, there's going to be food and all of these things. So there is going to be space and matter to some degree, but it's going to be completely different. And John says, what's it going to be like? We have no idea. All we know is that when we see him, we'll be like him. And then we uh, can understand these things. And so notice here again in verse two, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one set on the throne. Understand, the whole entire universe is revolving around the throne. We're gonna see as we go through Revelation, 32 times the throne is mentioned. And everything that's going on is relation to the throne. The throne is a center And whatever is described is from the throne to wherever it's at. And in Colossians 3, it tells us that right now we should be thinking like that. In Colossians 3, 1, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, setting where? At the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is our life appears and you also will appear with him in glory. So right now we are to be focused on Jesus upon the throne. At the right hand of the Father. And everything that we do and think and, and why we do what we do. It's because our, we're focused on the throne. And it's from the glory of God to the glory of God, empowered by the glory of God. It's, you know, I love that scene, you know, where Moses goes, he's already talking to God as one man talks to another man, face to face, literally in the Hebrew, it's mouth to mouth. But then he says, I want to see your glory. (laughs) And God says, no one can see my glory and live. But I'll tell you what, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll put my hand over you and, and the Lord walks by and just lets him see the tiny little glimpse at the very end. And of course, even then, you know, it's just overwhelming to, to Moses and this beautiful couple of verses from the Bible with incredible descriptions. But what happens when Moses has this kind of fellowship with God? His face comes back and people can't look on it. So he puts a veil over his face because of the glory of God. And uh, of course, when Jesus was translated, or the, the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah appeared, it says that he was beaming whiter than any white on earth had ever been seen before. They're just the glory, uh, even at that Moment, even while in human flesh, and imagine in our brand new bodies. And, and again, we are to live from the glory to the glory and, and focus. And so here we have some descriptions. What's going on on the throne in verse 3? He who sat there was of jasper, 
Sardis stone in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne and his appearance like an emerald. Now notice the word like. When you see the word like, it's symbolism. As we go through Revelation, there's a lot of symbolism. Why? Because there is no comparative description. You see, if I were, you'd never seen a a moped before, and you said, moped, what's a moped? Well, it's like a small motorcycle. It's bigger than a bike. It's got a motor on it, but it's sort of like a bike, but with a motor, but not like a motorcycle. That's more power. You know, I, I have something that I can compare with. But if I have no comparison, then I have to tell you, well, it's sort of, it's, it's, symbol, it's, it's a symbolic type thing. There is no comparative way. So was it like a, a, a rainbow or a sardis stone or whatever? No, I mean, what it was was far greater than any of those things. And so we, we see the jaspers like a diamond. The sardis is red. So Jesus was like whitish white, like clear, like a diamond. But then there was a reddish hue also coming from him. And of course, when we think of red uh, in reference to Jesus, I, I think of his blood that was shed. And of course, uh, when we, he saw the revelation of Jesus, he still had his scars. So you say what was one of the human things that make it to heaven, the scars that we put upon Christ uh, are there in heaven. And here is this sense, again, that his uh, very possible, I mean, it's speculation on my part, but there's a sense of red. Um, and again, I, I wonder if it's to remind us his blood that was shed, but his blood that purifies us. Remember, life is in the blood, and the blood gives life, and the blood gives that purity to us. And then around the throne was this emerald, this green, and then the rainbow. And remember in Genesis, after the flood, in, in Genesis 9, God gave the rainbow as a covenant to man that he would never bring that kind of judgment on earth again until the very end when judgment would come and everything would melt with a fervent heat. But now we see around the throne is all these multicolors. Now, just a real quick little side note. Before the flood, it never rained. Every night, the, the earth would I have like an automatic sprinkler system that went on? <laughs> and when Noah was preaching, it's going to rain, they're like, that's crazy. Water's going to come out of the sky? Impossible. But yet when the flood came, it says this, from above it broke and beneath it broke. And the waters then flooded the earth. If we were to take the water and evenly spread it across our planet earth right now, the entire earth would be covered in two miles of water. It's pretty amazing how God has collected the waters and made dirt. And it's amazing, again, the, the power of, of just, you know, when I, I can think, it's just how can anybody be an atheist? It's just everything so amazingly designed. And then when I read the Bible, it's the same thing. It's just, it's just, this is a literary book. Just literarily, it's amazing. Historically, it's amazing. Relationally, sociologically, it's just, it's just, it, it stands out supernatural when you look at the Bible. It's just hard to imagine anybody can't see this as God's word. It's hard for me to imagine anybody can think that such order and design and complexity, it's miraculous. How it could something, a what? In the beginning, it was a who or a what? Neither is a big bang and a what created itself. No mind, no intelligent, no plan. It's just one thing happened on top of the next. But it's again, if you take the moon and move it just a little bit away, the magnetic pull on the earth isn't strong enough to hold the waters together. And the water would go around the earth evenly. You bring that moon just a little bit closer, you have continuous tidal waves on the earth. No earth, um, again, is visible. The water would be completely covering the earth again through just continuous tidal waves. That moon is just perfectly set so you have enough waves, enough movement of the ocean to cleanse the ocean. Isn't that amazing? 
and you see those waves hitting the shore, people will put houses right next to it. I mean, you think about the power of the ocean. Think of the volume of that amount of water. And you put your house just right there. You know exactly where that high tide is, and it doesn't come typically (laughs) until there's a storm or earthquake or something. It doesn't come any farther, and you put your house right there. It's just just astounding. Just think about the ocean, just waves. It's It's just astounding. But here we, what in the world were we talking about? Oh yeah, the rainbow. You know, when you, and so here's the point I was gonna make. So before the flood, if you had the sky full of water wrapping around the earth, you would have been looking at the sun through a giant layer of water. The sky would have continually looked like a rainbow. You could have looked at the sky. It wouldn't have burned your eye like it does now because of the UV rays. But you had also been looking not at a blue sky or a sky with clouds or a gray sky. All you would have seen was a rainbow continuously. That's the speculation by most Christian scientists. And again, why did God make it that way? We see now to, to know that everything's revolved around his throne. And, and so you look at the throne and all around the throne is the rainbow. And if you would, that rainbow wrapped around the earth. <laughs> and so when Adam and Eve would have looked at the sky, they in essence would have said, look at the rainbow or look at the sky wrapping around the very throne of God ascending all around us. But then when man sinned, They were separated from God. They no longer had those walks with God in the cool of the evening. And then when earth became so wicked that God said, I've got to erase the chalkboard here except for Noah and his family. That sense of the continual throne of God, the continual presence of God was no longer there. But when the sky would be filled with water as we know now, we get a little tiny glimpse, if you would, of that glory of God and that covenant of God. And, and uh, anybody that can see is always in awe of the beauty of a rainbow, right? I mean, you don't look at a rainbow going, ah, no big deal. You just stop and, whoa, where's it at? Wow, it's huge, you know? And you follow it around and it's, it's still just an amazing, beautiful, awe-inspiring thing every time that you see it. And here we, we see now it's connected right to the very presence of God and how we need to put our mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father upon the throne. And now look in verse four, around the throne, so in a circle, not in an order, not in greater to lesser, but equal, right? Equally, the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. So, you know, again, I just, I love this. The heart of God. What did Jesus say when he came to earth? I came not to what? Be served, but serve. You call me master and Lord, Rabboni, and you're right. But what do I call you? My friends. And if you were lesser than me, I would hold back from you. But I haven't. I've shared all the things that the Father has shared to me. I've shared to you holding nothing back. Because you're equal to me. You're my friends. This is, again, we don't have some dictator. We don't have some guy with a power trip. We don't have some guy who's going, look, you bunch of peons, get it. I'm all powerful and you have nothing and I can smash you like a bug anytime I want. It's my way or the highway, you know? It's amazing how Satan has done everything he can to get that concept into the thought of man, isn't it? 
You talk to people and they're like, oh man, I don't think about God. He's up there with a big bat ready to hit me. He's always waiting for me to mess up so he can, you know, judge me. It's like, it couldn't be farther. In Hebrews 4, the Lord set it upon the throne that we could come to him boldly to receive grace and mercy and help. It couldn't be more opposite. Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. Everything, God's spirits in the world, bringing that sense of come unto me. I died for you. I want to cleanse you. I want to forgive you. I want to strengthen you. I want to have fellowship with you. But Satan is there with his lies, that prince of the power of the air, the, the, the father of lies, who's out to kill, still and destroy, trying to convince man that God's up there on the throne and it's like, you want to talk to him, you better grovel. When I go to Mexico City, one of the, no matter, it doesn't seem like where you go, there's just miles of people on their knees and the, they have the middle of the road, a place designed now, but you're on gravel most of the time. Walking on your knees for two miles to get to the Catholic Basilica. And once you get to the gate, then you, they used to say tie a ribbon, but then the priest would tie, cut the ribbons off, so they put locks on there and they would cut the locks off. So now they develop these locks that you can't even cut them off. So there's all these locks over this gate. So God would not forget to, you owe me now, God, because I walked on my knees for two miles uphill in the gravel. So now you owe me. You know, you got to answer my request. As if there's, you know, God's up there going, I don't want to answer your prayer. Oh, well, you did walk two miles on your knees. Okay, here, you know, man. Didn't want to have to answer any of your prayers, but now I have to. You know, it's, it's like, like you're trying to, get something from God that he doesn't want to really do. It's just so opposite of, of the concept of God. But yet that's, you know, when you, when you look at all the religions of the world, they have that sense of doing something bizarre or something difficult or something, you know, that, that, that would be out of, nat- we wouldn't be natural, out of nature to, to have to do to, to, to make God have to do something for you. And God is saying, no, come unto me. I want equal fellowship with you. Christ came as a human in Hebrews. It says forever now, he will be our human brother. <laughs> he's God, but God in human flesh. And now he's God in human terrestrial flesh or celestial flesh. And so Jesus is a resurrected human, eternally God in spirit, but yet human in body for eternity. A resurrected human body as one day we will be, but for eternity. He chose that. Why? Hebrews says, so he would ever, we, we would forever in eternity see Jesus as our brother. Isn't that amazing? It's just, it's mind-boggling that the infinite God would do that for us to understand that equal fellowship he wants with us. And, uh, uh, you know, you say, who are these 24 elders? Uh, I, I don't have time to go into all of it, but in Matthew 19, he says to the apostles that they will set upon thrones with him, judging the nations, um, in the Gospel of Luke 22, in the same way. But uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, listen to this. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Now we think about this going, oh yeah, so God has made us these royal people to praise him. And you say, but that really hasn't happened here. We don't look at Christians and say, oh, well, I can tell you look like a royal, <laughs> you look like royalty. Oh, you look like a priest. Wow, I can just tell you're praising God. We don't see that now on earth, do we? But yet, we do see that as we're gonna look here in Revelation 4 in those upon the thrones. In Revelation 1, 6, he has made us to be a kingdom 
of priest, his God and Father. Now, some of the translations say it this way. He has made us kings and priests unto God our Father. But some of the textual variants say a kingdom of priests. But it doesn't matter whether it says it here in Revelation 1.6 because it does call us uh, his royalty, his priesthood. We are kings and we are priests unto our God for eternity. In Revelation 3.21, or excuse me, before we go there, I just want to quote out of Revelation 5. Look there if you would. In Revelation 5, I want to make a note here. For you were slain and have redeemed us. This is a song that all these 24 elders are singing to Jesus. So you say, who are these 24 elders? He says, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of, listen, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Now let me tell you something. (laughs) On earth, there's more than 24 different tribes of tongues, tribes, nations, and peoples, right? But yet these 24 elders represent every type of nationality on the earth. So I would dare say that these 24 elders are not a literal 24 amount of people. And as we get into chapter five, I think you'll see that. But again, we have numbers that we use, you know, that that mean something to us. We'll just sort of say, oh, you know, like the apostles, they said they called them the 12. Even after Judas was gone, they still called them the 12. Then they had the 70, even though it wasn't always 70. You know, so again, you don't have to have. So the 24, I think, is just a number representing us as believers. And now we see that it's representing every tongue, every nation, every type of nationality on the earth. And so with that in mind, in Revelation in 3.21, what does Jesus say? To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So here's Jesus' heart. These 24 elders weren't just sitting on thrones, they were sitting upon Jesus' throne. And you say, well, there was 24, no, again, space and time. We have to have literal 24 thrones, people sitting. You know, again, are people going to be sitting? <laughs> is, there, is there a literal throne, thrones, the way we picture it? Uh, again, what's it going to be like? Uh, the idea of space and time, I don't think there's going to be the same kind of limitation that we have now. It's like, oh, there's Jesus. Oh, he's a mile away. Oh, I wish I could see him better. You know, I don't think we're going to have that problem. I think all the millions of believers, billions of believers are going to be next to Jesus all the time. (laughs) Jesus is everywhere at once, right? It's not like Jesus is over there or up here or he's equally everywhere at one time, right? And so again, I think there's a lot of wonderful things we're gonna see in heaven that we had no concept of. Our minds never even considered them. In 1 Corinthians 6, he tells the believers there that why can't you judge a matter because one day you're gonna be setting as judges over the angels. And uh, so he says, hey, you should be able to judge these matters in the church. In Romans chapter 8, verse 17 It says, and if children, then heirs, heirs with God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed you suffer with him, that you also may be what? Glorified together. In 2 Corinthians 2, 12, if we endure with him, we shall also what? Reign with him. And again, we're with him. He's raised us up to seat with him in heavenly places, upon his throne, on thrones. He clothes us in white robes as he tells in Revelation 3 to the church in Sardis, I'm gonna, uh, you'll walk with me in white clothing, again, representing the righteousness of Christ. And then he puts crowns upon us. Now, I wish we had time to go through all the different crowns 
uh, in the New Testament. Uh, I was going to try to do that tonight, but we don't have time. But there, you can look at the word crown, and there's several different types of crowns. There's one crown for fighting temptation and winning. There's another crown for leading people to Christ. There's another crown for being ready at his return. There's another crown for leaders who are faithful leaders. There's another crown for fighting sin and overcoming sin. And then there's a crown of life. Um, now you say, well, why does God give us crowns? You know, th- there's a word that sort of disappeared from the world. It's the word honor. And I'd say one of the things that people can still sense today to some degree is when an Olympic athlete goes to run in the Olympics, it's not first and foremost of all, if their hearts are right, for personal glory. They're going there representing their country for the honor of the country. They come back with a gold medal and they bring it to the country. The country will have a parade for them, right? We'll interview them, put them on the box of Wheaties, all kinds of other things. And they're not showing their gold medal to say it was about me and my hard work and all I did and blah, 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 blah. They, they say, look what we have done as a country. Look what we represent as a country. We're the strongest or we're the fastest. We're the most talented. And in essence, the whole country can feel, okay, they go to the White House and the president there and they shake the president's hand. Why, why is that? Again, it's to say, you brought honor to our country. You brought honor, if you would, to the leaders of our country. If you would, you brought honor to the president of the United States, to a degree. In the same way, when we are in heaven, With our crowns, we are in essence saying, God's spirit empowered me to walk holy. God's spirit, as I yielded and surrendered my life, it speaks of me. It speaks of my surrender. It speaks of my obedience. And so there is, if you would, a glory to me, but... but It's not direct, it's indirect. Because apart from Christ, we can do what? (laughs) Nothing. Unless we abide in him, we can do nothing. But yet we say God's spirit gave me power to say yes to him. God's spirit gave me power to say no to my flesh. As I yielded and said, God, I know it's your heart that I would tell people about you. And I witnessed and led people to Christ. Yes, it was speaking of my surrender, my obedience, but far greater it spoke of God's spirit and God's power. And so everything I've done, it says, men would see our good works, it says in John 15, and glorify our Father in heaven. So in essence, our crowns are bringing home our Olympic medals. And in essence, saying, This is to honor you, Jesus. This is to honor what you did because you died on the cross and rose again that your spirit could come into me, circumcise my heart, take away that old sinful nature, put your spirit in me and make me holy and righteous as you are holy. And then by your spirit, you've empowered me to to walk in the way that is righteous and pleases you. And so we see in verse five that now as these 24 thrones, if you would, just a figurative number. Speaking of all of us. Now, hey, let me, let me just stop here and qualify that. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says there are some that are believers. There's a foundation. They have received Jesus. But then the bricks in their life that build up the house are of hay, wood, and stubble. They're not of precious metals and gold and silver. And when the day of judgment where God judges believers according to their works. God judges everybody according to what they've done in their flesh, 2 Corinthians 5 says, good and bad. That some people, they've never walked an obedient life and they're not one of the bricks in building the house is anything but hay, wood, and stubble. And it says the fire consumes everything. The foundation stands, Christ, they are Christians, but zero heavenly rewards. 
And they aren't going to have a crown. They're not going to have a throne. They're not going to be able to experience, I believe, the worship, the glory, the, the presence of God. You know, when you have a five-year-old kid and you said, we're going to go out tonight. Woo, let's go jump in the car. Where are we going? We're going to go to this nice restaurant and sit for hours and eat lobster and, and uh, you know, look at the beautiful view outside. And it's like, <laughs> please let me stay home. You know, get a babysitter. You know, they, they can't experience and enjoy that. I guess someday I will be able to. I don't know when. But, um, but my wife tells me I, I enjoy that. And, uh, but you tell the five-year-old kid, what? We're going to go to McDonald's. And we're going to get a Happy Meal. And they're, woohoo! this is awesome, this is great. Now, if you tell your wife, it's our 20th anniversary, and we're going to go to McDonald's and get a Happy Meal. <laughs> There's just a whole different level <laughs> of, of quality of experience, isn't there? I think there's going to be a lot of people in heaven. It's going to be heaven. And they're going to be going, Happy Meal! Isn't this great? Being with Jesus and worshiping Jesus. And then there's going to be other people (laughs) that are upon the throne and have crowns. And they're going to be experiencing Jesus and the glory and the presence and the depth for all of eternity. This is why Jesus says, store up treasure in heaven. What, What is treasure going to be? I don't have time to go into all in it, but I think according to Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians 5, I think the treasure is the maturity of our bodies. I think there's going to be some people that are going to be eternally mature and experience the depths of Christ and it's going to continue for eternity. I think there's going to be other people with a very immature level of eternal bodies, and they're going for eternity experience Jesus at a very minimal level. And uh, again, I, I wish I had time to go into all of that tonight, but uh, like I said, this is a very, <laughs> 11 verses, but very deep uh, chapter. And so in verse five, boy, uh, from the throne proceeds lightnings, thunderings, voices, seven lamps of fire which burn before the throne and the seven spirits of God. And so just like we see uh, in Exodus when the Lord spoke, the lightning and thundering from the mountain and the presence of God, if people came near, they would die. Uh, we now see this very presence of God uh, in, again, the symbolic way of, of the way you would describe this and uh, the seven lamps and the, the seven spirits. We talked about this in chapter one, uh, correlating to Isaiah 11. Um, and uh, again, just describing the very uh, character of Christ. And in verse six, before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne, around the throne, were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. Now, notice here, it doesn't say like a sea of glass or as a sea of glass, but it says what? A sea of glass. But then it's like crystal. So what is this sea that's very, very calm like glass? We know from Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, it says, let us therefore come boldly to what? The throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. This sea of glass, I believe, is the sea of grace, the sea of mercy, the sea of just the presence and the strength of God. You know, when you think of a water as so calm, it's like glass. If you've ever seen water that still, it looks almost like you can walk on it. And you've sort of got to get a pebble and throw into it to wonder if it's not solid, you know? But it's so calm. And so as you're coming, there's this incredible presence, the power, the lightning, the thundering. There's power. I mean, just whoa. It's rumbling my stomach. The lightning, it's just so, so radical. Have you ever been in a lightning storm or a thunderstorm? The power of that, it feels like you're just gonna break you to pieces. 
But yet, in the midst of that incredible power is incredible calm. Where you come to the throne. Yes, there's power at that throne, but we can come right to that throne and it's completely calm, merciful, healing. You know, I really believe this is a a word for us tonight. To come to the throne. It's powerful, it's holy, it's righteous, it's awesome, it's scary for us. You know, later we're gonna see John in the presence of God, he falls down as a dead man. (laughs) Isaiah, who is a righteous guy, he just said, "Ah, I'm a wicked man, I dwell in the midst of a sinful people, and I'm just, and he, again, he's just undone, and he loses all strength. And God has to have a sheriff him touch his lips with a coal to, to bring him back to life. So yeah, we, we come to God and he's so righteous and so holy and so pure and so powerful and we're so not. <laughs> we, we often feel just amazingly weak and sinful, unworthy. But the Bible commands us that we come to the throne of what? The power of God, the lightning, the thunder? No, we're coming humbly And as we come to the throne, we come upon the sea of glass, calm, still. And in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the what? Peace, the crystal sea, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. We don't know why we're at such peace. We're in the midst of the storm. The boat's filling up. It's sinking. And what does Jesus say? Peace be still. And the water that was stormy and sinking the boat, like crystal, if you would, right? Completely 100% calm. And so we also, in the midst of the storm, come to that throne of grace, and Jesus speaks to us of grace and of mercy, and of help, and his peace that passes all human comprehension, guards our hearts. (laughs) We know about heart attacks a lot these days, don't we? And our blood pressure rising. Have you ever done that in the middle of the night? You wake up and you're like going, oh, that bill. Oh, that thing broke. Oh, I gotta get that thing paid. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Of course, this time of year, I don't know about you, it's like, gotta get my taxes done. Oh, all those stresses, right? And the old blood pressure starts rising and it's two in the morning and you're going beep, 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 beep and you're getting more and more awake and the adrenaline's bumping. What do you do? Well, you've got to learn to do this. Be anxious for nothing <laughs> and learn to pray and supplication is intense prayer, just throwing it all on the Lord. Comes back, throw it back on him, comes back, throw it back on him, you know? It's like a bungee ball, you know, or whatever, a super ball, you throw it, it comes bouncing back at you. You gotta keep throwing it till you give it to the Lord. Guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. First Peter 5, verse six and seven, it says, therefore humble yourself under what? The mighty hand of God, the thunderings, the lightnings. But humble yourself under there. What's under there? That sea of glass. And as you humble yourself, then what? Now he can exalt you in due time, set you upon my throne. But until then, while we're on this earth, we just cast all our cares upon him. Why? For he cares for you. Amen? Such a great word, I, I think, for us in the midst of our recession and robots. Did you guys see that special on 60 Minutes on Robots? They're taking our jobs. Um, they're saying they're gonna take all the jobs from China too. So, anyway, not getting off on robots because there's nothing here in Revelation 4 about robots. Uh, in verse seven, again, around this rainbow, around all this red and green and diamonds and all this incredible beauty. I don't know about you, but Revelation 4 is one of my favorite, verse, chapter four and five, a couple of my favorite chapters in the Bible because it just brings me to a heavenly mindset. And it's healing it's calming. Getting your eyes on Jesus, guys, is 99% of the time will fix your problem. Okay? The other 1% is your wife. 
but uh, in verse seven, so the first living creature was like a lion, the second like a living uh, creature like a calf, and the third creature uh, like the face of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. We know in Ezekiel one, these are called cherubim. There's cherubim and seraphim. But the cherubim in Ezekiel one, verse six, Each one had four faces. Each one had four wings. Now, as we go on, we're going to discover there's six wings. Ezekiel saw four, but it's it's not surprising because two of them covered the feet, two of them covered the face, and two they they flew with. So, you know, it's not completely unthinkable that all he saw was four of the six. But we do know now uh, from other locations in the Bible, there were six wings. But um, their legs were straight. The soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. The hands of man were under their wings on their four sides. Each of the four had four wings, or four had faces and wings. Their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man, each had the face of a lion on the right side, each had four, each of the four had face on, on an ox on the left side, and each of the four had a face as an eagle. So it's interesting because they, now we, we see in Ezekiel that each creature had all four faces. And they had six wings. Uh, interesting, the lion is the king of all land animals, the king of the jungle, right? The oxen or the calf is the strength of all domesticated creatures. So of all the wild creatures, the lion is the king of the wild creatures on the earth. The, the ox is the strength of all domesticated creatures The eagle is the greatest of all flying creatures. And man is the superior of of all the creatures on the earth. (laughs) So that God's made man over all, over all things. So if you would, each of these creatures speak of the strength of, of each of their areas. And Again, they're, they're, you know, we often ask ourselves, well, will we ever remember anything about earth? Or remember, is there animals in heaven? Or people often ask all these kind of questions. Um, you know, God likes surprises, right? I think there's gonna be a lot of animals in heaven. We know that we come from heaven to earth on horses, flying horses. Now, that's not cool. If that doesn't make you wanna go to heaven, I don't know what does but to fly from heaven to earth to the Mount of Olives. So if you've never had an Israel trip, you're going to get one on a flying horse with Jesus as your tour guide. And uh, you say, well, is it going to be peaceful? No, it's in the middle of the Battle of Armageddon. <laughs> Jesus actually leaves us at Mount of Olives and he goes to finish the battle uh, in, the, in the Valley of Armageddon there, the Megiddo Valley. Well, finishing up here in verse eight. For these four living creatures, each had six wings, were full of eyes around and within. They did not rest day or night. Now don't say, oh, these poor creatures. They just never had rest. They didn't want to rest, guys. Is there anything you've ever done that you just never wanted to stop? You just, you're having so much fun, you just wish you didn't have to eat or go to the bathroom or sleep? These guys are just in, enjoying it. Again, as we go on in the Bible, we see that God never has to sleep nor slumber. God never grows weary. These are descriptions of God. And in 1 John 3, 1, it says, little children, I don't know what we're gonna be like, but when we see him, we're gonna be what? Just like him. We're never gonna have to sleep nor slumber. We're never gonna have to use five-hour energy drinks um, or any of those. We're never gonna get weary. And then he says, holy, 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 is what these creatures, creatures say. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, is that all they said? No. It's the the basic content of what they said. I think they said a lot more than that. 
But in verse 9, finishing up in verse 11, whenever these living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So guys, don't be embarrassed by not knowing the words to the song, okay? You're gonna go up there, now what's the words of that song? You didn't know that you're supposed to study the book of Revelation? So here you go, now you know it. This is the song we're to sing. You are worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power. You were created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight and ask you to spit these things deep, deep, deep into our hearts. And thank you for, out of the abundance, out of the volume of the word, it speaks of you, Jesus. And we love it. Wash us tonight in the water of your word. And if you're here tonight and you're not right with God, You're here tonight and your heart's convicting you. I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I haven't been submitted to him. I haven't been walking in obedience to him. And I'm sitting here and God's heavy hand is upon me, convicting me of my sin and drawing me to that throne of grace. I need to leave here tonight knowing that my name's written in the book of life, not blotted out. I need to know that I'm walking in a manner worthy of him. I want to know that when he appears that I don't shrink away in shame at his appearing. Right now, by faith, come boldly to that throne of grace and just cry out, God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. The Bible says where we sin, his grace abounds more. Peter says if Lord, should we forgive our brothers seven times a day? And Jesus said, I say to you, 70 times seven. If Jesus expects us as men to forgive other men 70 times seven daily, how many times a day is God, who is more gracious and merciful than any man, is gonna forgive us that much and more? So right now, by faith, don't come crawling, don't come wimpy, come boldly. You are my savior. You are my king. You are my God. You want to forgive me more than I want to be forgiven. You want to strengthen me more than I want to be strong. You want to cleanse me more than I want to be cleansed. It's your heart that you would speak to me great and mighty things I know not of. It's your heart that I would be clothed in white. It's your heart that I'd be set upon a throne. It's your heart that I would have a crown to glorify you. Lord, right now, by your grace and your mercy and because of your great love and desire for me, cleanse me, wash me, forgive me, heal me, empower me. I yield and lay my life before you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. If you receive the Lord tonight for the first time, come forward. I want to get you a Bible, tell you about the Christian Foundation classes, and uh, get you started on the right foot walking with the Lord. Hey, give each other a giant bear hug and have a great night in the Lord. Bye-bye.